Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip. Two sides of a coin. Tarek, heads or tails? Tails. Never fails. Except on this show. It's it heads. Did. It failed. Give me the it damn failed. ball. All right, Trey. Ball's going your way. And startup season is over. Football season. Yeah, it's here, baby. Guys, we actually have a game this Thursday. We got the Let's Bills go. and the Rams. What a game, too. And uh, I want to know, though, who's going to score more fantasy points? Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis or Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson? Trey Ball's yours. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, let's Talk see. about flipping a coin. I think Cup slightly more than Diggs. I think A-Rob slightly more than Gabe Davis. So give me the Rams. And I don't care that uh, Matt Stafford's arm might fall off by halftime. I like I like the Rams. <laughs> give me the Super Bowl champs. Is is this in LA or in Buffalo? It's oh, this in is in LA. LA as the champs. It's yeah. it's in LA. Okay. Yeah, the Rams are actually home dogs plus two and a half. Wow. I, I think the the brightest star in Hollywood that weekend, or on Thursday rather, is going to be Josh Allen. Uh so give me the bills because Stefan Diggs is going to go insane and Gabe Davis is going to turn out to be the guy that everybody in high stakes leagues thinks he's going to be by <laughs> drafting him at the end of the third round. Uh, so Oof. yeah, I think it's, I think this is a great coin toss, uh, because it really is the flip of a coin, but, uh, I, I like, I like the bills in this one. You see, I disagree with you. I think it's a clear cut Rams outscore the bills receivers there. So, uh, feeling pretty confident about this one. I mean, here's the thing. The real competition is between, Isaiah McKenzie and Ben Skoranek. That's that's <laughs> going to be the differentiator there. You know, I almost asked you guys which running back was going to score the most fantasy points, but I didn't want to see you guys all cringe. I actually wanted to ask something fun. But <laughs> well, yeah, seeing as I took Cam Akers in the middle of the the death of the dead zone during our redraft on uh, Thursday, I'm pretty sure I'm betting on Cam. Yeah, and Cam Akers is my reputation player, so. <laughs> well, that meant somebody would have to slam the table for, like, I don't know, Devin Singletary, and that's no fun. Yeah, I mean, the the tough thing about Devin Singletary uh, is he only has one foot, so. It's true. Uh, the old yeah. single foot. Yeah, Devin Singlefoot uh, is our nickname single -footed, for him. Uh, running back in the league, I do believe. In the history of the league. He yeah. has two feet, but one foot. <laughs> What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your long-lost host, Tarek Angry T. Benchwia. With me, the guys that held it down last week, and we appreciate you, Trey Cryan and Mitch Yates. What is going on, my man, Mitch? What the fuck is going on, Tarek? Welcome back, man. I appreciate you. Trey and I had some fun. Uh, we uh, that that episode was a lot of a lot of fun, man. But it's always better when you're back. I appreciate you. Yeah, I, uh, I I had some family move up to Chicago in the last week, uh, so I've been I've been basically over at my sister and brother in law's house every day. 
Um, so that's been really great, but I am super excited to get back on the mic, Trey, to, to grace y'all with my sultry tones. How are you feeling, man? Man, I'm glad that you and your family are having a better weekend than Brian Kelly and his new family. Oof. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, hey, I was with uh, with uh, the friends uh, in Columbus this weekend. And yeah, Notre Dame did not pull it off uh, at Ohio State. But, uh, you know, I think we still all had a better weekend than uh, Brian Kelly did uh, down there and uh, uh, with his first game with LSU. So, uh, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> God, dude, going for the extra point instead of going for oh, two. What? What are you? What are you doing, man? Good classic perfection. Couldn't have drawn it up any better. Yeah. Well, Mitch, shout out to your brother who had his best game of his collegiate career at SMU. Jordan Curley, over a hundred yards and a touchdown. Absolutely balling against North Texas. Oh yeah, and I'm just so proud of the little guy or big guy. I think he's up to like six three these days. But <laughs> man, this season, this is the breakout. This is SMU. He's the the starting wide receiver next to Rasheed Rice and. Man, I, I'm just ready to see him ball out. I'll actually be down there in uh, Texas watching the TCU SMU game. Oh, that's fun! I think that is September 24th. Oh, and, in here. Oh yeah, I am so amped, man. Uh, with and I think most people know, but the coach from SMU actually went to TCU this off season and took most of the coaching staff. So this is a huge, huge revenge <laughs> game for. SMU and yeah, it, it, I'm just stoked. Love it. Hell yeah. The battle for DFW. Let's go Mustangs. All right, let's get into this episode today. We're kind of doing like a regular season dynasty primer. So we're going to be discussing things that we'll be watching for in the first month or four weeks of the season. And just to kind of set the table here, I've mentioned this dichotomy a few times, and that's being reactive versus being reactionary. And I think that's a core principle of being a good dynasty manager. Because on the one hand, you need to understand when to fade the noise and not make rash decisions based on narratives or, or variants that doesn't hold much weight and can flip from week to week. On the other hand, dynasty managers need to recognize when there's signal coming through from that noise and be nimble in reacting to that information. So as we get into the start of the regular season, as we get into the games that matter, let's do this exercise for ourselves and our listeners. What are the things that we're going to be looking for over the first four weeks of the season being reactive but not reactionary? And let's kick off this first half I've talked a lot, so instead of going right into my first thing, Mitch, let's go to you. Oh, God, surprise, me first. Surprise! Uh, well, what's going on in Utah? No, what's going on in Atlanta? What <laughs> is going on with this new offense? So despite... Brian Windhorst, pointy fingers, what's everybody. Going on? I'm going to take you on a ride. So, yeah, despite being tied with Houston for the best odds to finish dead last this season... You know, in Atlanta, there are some pretty lofty expectations when it comes to their top fantasy guys. And, you know, a lot's changed. Uh, they've added Marcus Mariota, and we just don't really know what's going on in Atlanta. So everything's just a projection and thoughts. So I really just want to see what this offense looks like in real life for real after four weeks. And, you know, after this first month of football, I want to see if they can score some points. 
but most of all, I want to focus on Drake London and Cordero Patterson. And my peripheries, I'm going to have Pitts and Mariota because I don't want to just take a whole lot of time on Pitts. He's the number one dynasty tight end pretty much anywhere you look up rankings, number three in redraft. So, you know, I'll be paying attention to see if he's receiving a target share above 20.3% where he was last year. And it'll be worth noting if he's not, but you're not going to get a discount on this guy regardless. So uh, Drake London, the number one rookie wide receiver drafted and uh, keep trade cut has him wide receiver 13, which is too damn high. On the other hand, you know, his redraft ranking is more along the lines of wide receiver 39. So the expectation seems to be that he's going to be like the clear one being Atlanta eventually with that wide receiver 13 ranking but he's been dealing with a knee issue and hasn't had any preseason action so I want to see how they ease him in and how he looks in a full month of football um, and I want to look at if he's on another manager's roster I want to pay attention to whether uh, he or she is starting or benching Drake London you know I want to see if there's some sort of buy window here because I I think that the expectation should be that He's not going to do a whole lot in the first half of the season, but perhaps the manager that drafted him is expecting a little bit more than that just based on his ADP. And the other guy I'm going to be watching is Cordero Patterson because I believe he's going to be that same sort of jack-of-all-trades to start the season while Drake London's being eased into that full-time work. And so I'm expecting Cordero Patterson to put up like 8 to 10 rushes a game and around 8 targets in the passing game. So that's the best of Patterson's season right here is the early part, and I'm kind of looking to cash out as early as I can. Not now, but about 4 games into the season if this goes the way I think it's going to go. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Okay, so you're watching Atlanta. Broad strokes. There's a lot to watch there, right? I mean, basically I mean, what I took on? what I what is going on in Utah slash Atlanta. Uh, what I took away is you think that Cordero Patterson is probably going to outperform his value early in the season, and that will open a sell opportunity for the 31 year old running back receiver or whatever. And then potential buy opportunity. I really like how you highlighted the distinction between wide receiver 13 in Dynasty and wide receiver 39 in Redraft. Yeah. What that signals to me, Trey, is there's almost guaranteed to be a buy window for Drake London in Dynasty for rebuilders because he's, you know, he's a rookie. Like, we don't expect him to produce in the first eight games. And no matter who you are, what league you're in, that's going to put some downward pressure on the value in Dynasty early in the season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's very basically uh, impossible for him to live up to that wide receiver 13 value over the first month of the season, you know, uh, like is a Jamar chase type rookie year out of the question? Probably like, you know, well, let's not put that on anybody, yeah, but like probably maybe more of like <laughs> I mean, a Mario Devontae, no Joe Burrow. Yeah. Like, maybe more of like a Devonte <laughs> Smith type season, you know, like 900 something yards, like six touchdowns and like a bad offense. Right. Like, and that's yeah. going to be, you know, weighted more to the back half of the year for sure. So, I'm glad you circled that. I think that's a good call out probably for London and honestly, probably for all of these rookie wide receivers. But the the Atlanta offense, if you take a step back, like, you know, macro level here, this is a very bad defensive team, you know, mm -hmm. and Mariota has been interesting in the past as a, uh, you know, quarterback in super flex leagues. Uh, Pitts, obviously, I think there's tons and tons of expectations there. 
there could be a lot of offensive plays because they're just going to have to push the ball to make up for the fact that they're always going to be behind in the majority of these game scripts this season. This is an overdetermined narrative, but you know, you said you didn't want to talk about pits. So I will briefly <laughs> like if, if out of the gate, the offense is faltering and we're not seeing pits back into like the top three or four tight end production that he's being drafted at, at in redraft and in high stakes leagues, like, please let it be a pits by window. And, and I say that because Personally, I think I'm probably drafting Kyle Pitts 101 in a one QB dynasty league right now. Like, damn, I I think it's probably a a matter of when, not if that guy breaks fantasy for at the tight end position. So, you know, like I said, I think it's an overdetermined narrative. Oh, if the offense falters, try to buy Pitts because like you said, nobody's really going to sell Pitts. But but. Man, Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm I, like, I'll, I'll say it again. I'm drafting Pitts 101 in a one QB dynasty league that I'll, I'll never go to a one QB startup. So I'll never do that. But, you yeah. know, I'm, I just wanted to throw that out there because Pitts is, is still the God. Yeah, I guess I just really want to reemphasize the, the magnifying glass over Drake London. I, I think that if I'm offering the listeners anything to take away, it's pay attention to how he's doing and like if he's not putting up a whole lot of points but he's showing good signs in Atlanta like you know does he pass the eye test first of all and uh, you know if 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 so is he on the field is he on, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like this guy is pretty unanimously high but he's going ahead of guys like Deontay Johnson in startups like you know and I can guarantee you if somebody's a contender and they're like trying to sh- like get ready for the fantasy playoffs, they're going to rather have a guy like Deontay Johnson than Drake London anyway. So Deontay Johnson is wide receiver 26 on keep trade cut right Make now. Make no it goddamn sense. Travesty. That's my reputation right there, guys. Hey, not a bad guy to rest your reputation on. All right, let's move on to the first thing that I will be watching in the first four weeks of the regular season starting this Thursday. And that is target distribution for the Philadelphia football Eagles. So like I said, when evaluating the first month of the regular season, it's always a balancing act between not overreacting to a small sample while also wanting to identify trends early and before the rest of your league mates. And I kind of see the situation with the pass catchers in Philly straddling that line. So I kind of want to outline a plan for myself and for the listeners. So let me set the table. I am significantly ahead of market, especially on Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith. Goddard is my tight end five uh, on keep trade cut. He's tight end nine. And Devontae Smith is my wide receiver 17, which is about 10 spots ahead of consensus. I'm also a bit ahead of market on AJ Brown at wide receiver four versus wide receiver seven on keep trade cut. And we know those those margins get bigger as you go to the top. At the same time, I'm actually slightly behind market on Jalen Hurts. So like, how can that be? Well, I just know that the three pass catchers in Philly are elite football players. And I'm reflecting a desire to roster one of them on every single one of my dynasty leagues. And I think that at least one of them will outperform their ADP significantly. So what am I going to be watching for in terms of the first month of the season in Philadelphia? 
and exactly the first four weeks and not sooner than that. I want four full weeks of target and reception data, and I want to see who's taking up the biggest share of that pie and how they're doing it, right? What's the respective A dots of these three three players? What are they doing after the catch, et cetera? I think that four weeks of games will start to tell us that story, and I will, you know, probably start moving them in my ranks after that. Like, if I see that Dallas Goddard is commanding like 22% of the targets, you know, I'm going to keep him at tight end five, but that might mean I need to move Devontae Smith down a little bit. Right. right. So I'm just really, really interested in how this plays out because I am so confident that all of them are really good. I'm just not confident in who's going to really you know, take significant share of the offense in relation to their dynasty positions. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad you put some numbers to it there because I I wanted to kind of prep for this conversation with my own numbers. So I think AJ Brown, you look the last two years, we could probably pencil him in for the 26, 27% target share. Devontae Smith as a rookie put up 22%. So honestly, we should probably think about him improving on that slightly in year two. Dallas Goddard, you said 22%. I have him right there as well based on his projection on Fantasy Pros. But if you look at the history on Goddard, that's the biggest gap between what we're putting penciling him in for and previous production. The highest yeah. target share to date for Goddard's career was last year at 18.6%. And yes, we know Zach Ertz has been in the picture the whole time, but we still haven't seen it yet on the field. So I mean, 22.5%, that is nothing to sneeze at. That is essentially Travis Kelsey last year, who was number four in the NFL. You know, I think there's one thing that we can all agree on here, and that's that the Eagles look really good. And yeah. their offense looks like fantasy gold. So their defense looks great. Their offensive line looks great. Like that team and so, <laughs> looks extremely good. Tarek, I, I, is it out of the question for all three of them to outperform ADP? I definitely don't think it's out of the question, and I'll, and I'll throw it to Trey. Yeah. But I think in order to do that, it needs to be a hyper-concentrated offense. It, it needs to be hyper-concentrated to the levels that we just talked about, and Jalen Hurts is going to have to throw it more. Like You're right. not going to be able to support three guys beating ADP if you're only throwing it 280 times or completing 280 passes this year. It's going to have to be up in the like 350 range. Well, that's what's uh, going out and getting A.J. Brown signals to me is that they are going to change what they were doing last year. I mean, they were the number one rushing, uh, I think, by percentage. They they ran the ball the most, right? That that has only got room to improve in the passing game. And the way that we're drafting all of these guys, we're hoping and also believing that's what they're going to be doing. So I think Hertz is going to be passing more. I think he'll be getting out of the pocket more and just these three guys are going to open up those passing lanes for each other too. So for me, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to move any of my guys, like these three guys in the rankings, like significantly down because what if it gets messy, right? Like what if all three of them are eating and none of them break away? I think it's still fair to keep them. Like I I still agree with what you're doing. Like I I want a piece too, but I don't know if I'm going to be like, Oh no, Devonta is not eating as much as I thought he would be because I think I, I think there's enough room for all of them too over the course of the year. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, 
it helps, I guess, that they they shoved off Jalen Rager, right? <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, yeah. Perhaps. How, how would you react if uh, after a month in, Devontae Smith is eating more than AJ Brown is? Oh, I that is an outcome that would not surprise me, Trey. Like right? I. I think Devonte Smith is an elite talent at the receiver position and he proved so in his rookie year, right? With those, you know, with not only the target share but also the warp data, like oh, yeah. how far yeah, yeah. he was being targeted downfield. Like he had an elite rookie year. So it wouldn't surprise me. Uh like obviously I'm projecting AJ Brown to be the 25 to 27% alpha like you said in that in that offense, but that doesn't mean I would be outraged. How I would react uh, I would probably move Devonte Smith up a little bit, and then the market would have to catch up to me where I was on Devonte Smith. So yeah, yeah, I'm I, just wondering I, if maybe you're going to say something like that's a buy window for AJ Brown, you know, and like it, moving to a new team, you know, maybe it is a slow start for the first month, and maybe that you know is an opportunity to get a guy that we've loved for three years now, you know. Could be. I think I think what my plan is going to be is like I'm going to let those first four weeks really tell me the story. And if Devontae Smith is eating more than the hundred million dollar man, then, you know, I, I will at least get them closer in my ranks. For sure. Sounds good. All right. Appreciate y'all uh, entertaining that Eagles discussion. Uh, I feel like we've had it a few times this offseason, but it's, <laughs> it's a fascinating, you know, team to, to evaluate. All right, Trey, what is the first thing that you were going to be watching out for in the first month of the regular season? All right, so I want to pay attention to what the splits look like for the uh, Denver Broncos offense because there was a ton of moving parts in Denver over the offseason. Uh, we've got the new coach, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, right, coming over from Green Bay. Obviously, the new superstar quarterback with Russell Wilson in town. Uh, and we've got uh, Sutton back from injury now. So uh, I think tons and tons of... Uh, podcast time has been spent already on Sutton versus Judy but you know going into this season I would put their target shares right next to each other I think they're both in that low 20 percent range and I'd be looking to see if there is a clear edge one direction or the other after that first month and honestly I would think about buying high if that's the case because you know being attached to Russell Wilson as his number one option in this passing attack that could be very, very lucrative for fantasy, as we know. And, you know, buying high might be the right move in that situation. Now, that's not necessarily what I expect because I do think the target shares are going to be close. Um, but, you know, I just want to be ready for that just in case that's not the case. Um, if if they are kind of stuck at 21%, then, yeah, that opens up a sell window. I don't have a ton of these guys already on my roster. But if you do, maybe look at who's getting really lucky with the touchdowns and try to sell high there because if they're stuck in that low 20% range, then that's going to look a little bit more attractive to the wider market than maybe it really is, right? So some interesting stuff going on there with the receivers. The running back room is slightly less interesting, even though there have been rumors recently about it being even closer to a 50-50 split again like it was last year. But it's just rumors, you know, so let's see it. I do think Melvin Gordon's ADP right now in redraft as like the running back 37 is a pretty strong value right now. So there's probably he's probably undervalued just in general. Zero but, RB king. Exactly. No, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I, I know I've said a lot there already, but uh, you know, I think I think Russell Wilson, right, in, coming into this new situation, I think he could eat right away, and we shouldn't be surprised if he, you know, hits uh, right out of the gates running and is like up in the top five of quarterbacks after the first month. 
I've said this about Judy before. Um, I I wonder if you know if he's going to live up to expectations, and the the first four games are going to be a good a, a good measuring stick for me um, because. If he is not receiving that sort of target share, I think that I will be reacting very quickly and trying to get him off my squad but before it's too late because I've, I've already got like a foot and a half out the door. You okay. Know? What about Sutton? Because I know historically you've been a big Sutton fan, Mitch. So are you going to be more patient with him? Or I believe so. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's very possible that one of these guys is the guy. And I don't know if, if Russ is going to spread it between the both of them, you know, um, I, I do think they're going to be running a lot. And I think that Javante is also going to be getting more of the work than, um, Melvin. I'm not, I'm not sure. I believe those rumors either. Okay. Yeah. I, I would probably project like a 60, 40 split in terms of, the running back touches still like I think on that note, right? If it starts off being a 50 50 split, which is not at all out of the realm of possibilities, I think for me, that would potentially open up Javante Williams to at least be appropriately valued, right? If he, yeah. if he gets knocked down a few spots like I'm I've been even though I love Javante Williams as a talent, I've been a little bit behind market on him all offseason. Um, so I, I think like that could open a potential window for Javante Williams. I, I think in terms of the pass catcher, it kind of feels like deja vu all over again. I think a year ago when we had this episode about things we we're going to look out for in the first month of the season, I talked about Sutton and Judy right, and right. I was like, I, I want to be able to make a decision. And like, here we are again. And I feel like we're still waiting to make a decision between the two of them. Uh, a thing we talked about a few weeks ago or maybe a, a month or two ago at this point is like with the Tim Patrick injury, what does that do in terms of the formations? Does Judy move to the outside, putting KJ Hamler in kind of a more of an every down role? Do they run a lot of two tight end sets? Greg Dulcich starting the season on IR for at least four weeks yeah, is, is interesting. So I I think overall, even though you just talked about Judy and Sutton, because this has the potential to be a wagon offense and Russell Wilson is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the history of the league, like it it bears watching beyond just Sutton and Judy as well to KJ Hamler, to Alberto, to Greg Dulcich when he enters the fold, etc. Yeah, I will note that the Broncos kind of have an easy runway to start things off. They get the Seahawks first and then they get the Broncos second. So I the, the Broncos, sorry, they the are the Broncos. Yeah, no, they get the Texans <laughs> second. So, yeah. Talk about an easy runway. Yeah. yeah, So, you know, like I I was thinking to myself, like how much uh, or how patient are we going to be with Russell Wilson? Because he he's on a new team. You know, are we going to be forgiving if things start off slowly? And then I took a glance at the schedule and I was like, nope. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing, too, is like just looking at Russell Wilson's value right now. Yeah, he wasn't great last year and the efficiency was down. But just looking at his fantasy production over like the last 10 years, like where he's going right now in redraft is like his floor. Oh, my God. He has only finished lower than like the uh, uh, quarterback 13 one time in his 10 year career. And that was like six years ago. So, you know, the low end QB one is his floor and there's just nothing but ceiling from there. And he's going as the 11th quarterback off the board. 
Yeah, he gets a situation upgrade and he's going like below where he usually goes in in redraft. Yeah. Um yeah, go buy Russell Wilson everywhere. I love it. Yeah, agreed. Mic check. It is halftime. All right. Regular season halftime is back, boys. So to remind the listeners what we did last year, we pick a game line, each of us. We pick a game against the spread, and then I, in Illinois, place a parlay on that on those four game lines. So just to quickly review how we did last year, we went 38 and 34 as a group, and we hit three weekly parlays. So basically, if you hit two parlays, you're already in, you're already profitable. But by hitting three, we were good for a 233% return on uh, my investment. I, I think this is an interesting system, kind of where each person picks the game that they are most confident about on a slate. So if we're profitable again this year, let's call it proof of concept. But hey, let's get into it for week one. Mitch, what is your favorite pick against the spread? I got the Cardinals plus three and a half versus Kansas City. And that's a home underdog. Three and a half is just enough for me to take this. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. But, you know, there's a lot of question marks still in Kansas City with their offense without Tyreek Hill. And the Cardinals have added talent in that regard with Hollywood Brown. So, you know, I I actually kind of like the Cardinals to win outright. And the fact that they are three and a half means they can lose by three and I still win. So, you know, I, I think that's the easy money for me on this slate. But I could see the Kansas City winning, of course. I mean, this is going to be a fun game to watch. I'm so glad football's back, boys. I love it. Trey, uh, by the way, I just wanted to, speaking of the Cardinals, you have been singing Marquise's, Marquise Brown's praises all offseason. Um, I have drafted Marquise Brown in all three of my redraft leagues. So <laughs> he's wide receiver 23 for me in my dynasty rankings. That needs to come up. Uh, so, you know, shout out to the Cardinals. Shout out to this pick. Shout out to Marquise Brown. We're shouting. Shout out Hollywood Brown. You know, it's funny. I already talked about this earlier, but the that Cam Akers versus Marquise Brown uh, decision in the fifth round uh, last week. Uh, you know, if I could go back and redo it, maybe I would have gone Hollywood there. Oh, yes. I, I benefited. Yeah, you're welcome for that one. Uh, so like Mitch here, I want to go with the home dog. And I like the Minnesota Vikings as two and a half point dogs at home against the Green Bay Packers. I also think the the home underdog here is more likely to win this game than not. There's been a lot of positive reports this offseason about the new coaching staff coming into Minnesota. That's the end of the Mike Zimmer era. And we're bringing in some of that infusion of uh, offensive system from the LA Rams. Meanwhile, in Green Bay, there's the obvious huge questions on like, you know, who's going to be the main receiver? Like is Alan Lazard really going to be the number one guy? There's offensive line question marks with Bakhtiari not practicing for most of the uh, preseason. And uh, yeah, I think the Vikings at home can uh, get it done. Yeah. Love it. You've come a long way, Trey. I believe last year you had like four weeks in a row where your justification for halftime picks was fuck the Vikings. So, uh, Mike Zimmer out of the building and, and you're a Vikings fan. Now. I, I you know, it. that's that was the change I needed. 
<laughs> All right, I will go ahead with my pick against the spread for week one. And I'm I'm going the opposite way, guys. I'm going with the favorites on the road. The Baltimore Ravens minus six and a half at the New Jersey Jets. Mm-hmm. This gives me Baltimore at Miami in week one of Lamar Jackson's MVP season vibes. Just the clearly better team and elite quarterback coming into an AFC East dumpster fire and lighting them the absolute (laughs) fuck up. So it may be Joe Flacco. It may be Zach Wilson. Dude, Lamar Jackson quickly becoming my favorite player in the NFL. He's going to he's going to blow them out by 20 points. You know, I'm kind of hoping that it's Flacco because that would just give us how many like quarterback revenge games week one. You know, Russ oh versus God, no Seahawks. Kidding. You got you got uh, Baker Mayfield versus the Browns. Give me give me Joe Flacco versus the Ravens where he just gets fucking murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a double digit loss for the Jets for sure. All right. Uh, John picked the Washington commies minus three and a half at home against the Jaguars. I'm not going to lie, Mitch. I was close to picking Jaguars plus three and a half because I just think it would be like too perfect that the Jags would win or more more so the commies would lose to the Jags in week one. I don't know. I I mean, this is a game that only John would bet on. I think that, (laughs) you know, and, and that's one of the things I love about this exercise is. Like you've mentioned, you know, there have been three weeks where we where we hit. Right. And that means like we all hit for our different reasons. And like, I think everybody here, like I can speak for all of us, would take actually the points here for Jacksonville. But maybe we're wrong. And, you know, maybe the commies got it more together. But I would stay uh, the hell away from this game. Yeah, for sure. But you're you're absolutely right. We're not coming to a consensus over here, because if we were, I'd tell John to go pick his uh, favorite team, the Chargers. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Did not say a single thing to John when he picked it. So <laughs> I, know, I said a few words. I, I, I believe, hope but... I hope that he can rub it in our face next week. That I hope I'm so too. very much hoping for that. Isn't he a fan of both of those teams? He's a wince guy. He's a big wince guy. All right. Let's kick off this second half, getting back into some things that we're going to be watching for in the first month of the NFL regular season, as always, for dynasty purposes. Mitch. Throwing it to you first once again. All right. Well, I just want to know, like, what's going on in Chicago? Dub uh, Bears, Justin Fields, Mooney, Komet, you know, uh, there's a lot of question marks there. And I want to get a little pulse check. I want to see if the Bears are still alive after four games. Like, and what to do if Justin Fields looks good or terrible. And I also wanted to examine, like, the the touches amongst the running backs. You know, they only kept three running backs, Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, and Treston Ebner. So, Justin Fields is my reputation quarterback, so you can bet your ass we keep an eye on how he does uh, with his first season without Matt Nagy. But the Bears also have a bit of a difficult start. They got the 49ers yeah. first, and then they got the Packers second. And then after that, they got the Texans and Giants. So we got a good split there. Um, Right away, we get to see how Fields handles himself against two strong defenses. And the things I'm going to be looking out for, like, does Fields have more than 22 and a half passes per game uh, where he was at last year? Are we going to get more than six carries per game? Is he going to open that up a little bit? And I honestly want to see if he passes the eye test. I want to see how he looks without 
being held back. So, and I don't think any of us are going to be surprised if the Bears are sitting 0-2 after the first two weeks. So I want to see how he responds week three and four against those uh, inferior teams, if you will. I mean, I guess the Bears aren't that great. So uh, equal teams. Uh, but Equally inferior, yeah. Yeah. So, like, let's say Fields looks great after four games, then cool, great, right? Like, I don't think his stock's going to rise too much because he's already at quarterback 10 for me. But if he looks bad, at, you know, which is entirely possible with a new offense, and, you know, we know he doesn't have much in the way of help, um, you know, I think there's a lot of room for him to fall. And if he kind of stumbles out of the gates, I won't be overreacting, and I'll still be trying to acquire Fields if there's that dip there. So, yeah. Uh, Trey, did no. you want to? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, and I'm glad you really um, pointed this one out because it gets to what Tarek was saying at the beginning. Like, let's be reactive but not reactionary, right? Like, let's mm-hmm. not overreact to a bad start out of the gate for a second-year quarterback in a tough situation. I guess there's a question on timing, and we'll just have to reevaluate as we go because those first two weeks could open up a pretty big buy window if you're mm-hmm. a believer, you know? But then after week four... That might be when you and guys like you and I, who are ahead of the market on fields, we need to, you know, have a, a nice long look in the mirror and say, "Hey, is this really going to work out this yeah. year or not?" You know. Yeah, and the other the other thing I'm keeping an eye on, like I said, is uh, the distribution in the backfield. Right, so the Bears only yeah. kept three running backs on the squad: Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, Preston Ebner, and you know, I'm currently trying to get as many shares of Khalil Herbert and as few shares as Montgomery as possible. You know, and I think four weeks should be a good enough sample size of like how this is working out for me. Because last year, Montgomery dominated the snap share percentage at 74 point, uh, excuse me, 74.8%, which was good for the number two running back in the league. And the Bears ran 27.8 run plays per game. And that Monty had about uh, 17 of the 27 runs there. So. Uh, we've mentioned this plenty of times on the show, like Monty was really inefficient and, um, just, you know, he was just volume. He was used a lot. So what I'm thinking is happening this year and what I'm predicting is happening is that his upside, his volume is going out the door. And, you know, if that happens, I, I want to see how Khalil or Ebner look, you know, um, That's a new but then, staff. but then there's the other side of this coin, right? Like what if, they keep feeding Monty and like he actually looks good and he starts balling and starts receiving the ball again. Like I want to leave myself open to, to reexamining this situation here because like, you know, it's easy to hate on Monty right now, but um, I think that it, there's a way that we're all wrong here and undervaluing him. So I just want to like, just keep, keep myself open to that. There, there's a way Mitch, what I would say Personally, in this situation, if Montgomery comes out and he's getting the same kind of opportunity share that he got last year, et cetera, I think it's going to be a situation in which I'll be a little bit hard headed with my priors and I will probably use it as an opportunity to buy as much Khalil Herbert as I can. Um, By the way, good call out on Treston Ebner. If he is on any of your dynasty waiver wires, uh, please go pick him up. Um, You know, five year player at Baylor, athletic has a nice receiving profile, could be, you know, not to helmet scout too much, but could be the kind of Tariq Cohen of that offense possibility, right? So definitely go pick him up. But I think I've seen enough of David Montgomery to believe what I believe about him, that he's a banger, 
um, that he's not very efficient, that he's like a fine volume back, um, but he's he's not going to do too much with the ball in his hands. And the way that he runs is probably going to lead to some injuries down the line, right? So I think Khalil Herbert has some juice, has some upside that I don't think Montgomery has. So I completely agree with you. There's there's definitely the possibility that Montgomery comes out, gets 25 touches per game. But in that situation, I mean, I'm, I'm buying more Khalil Herbert. Yes. And as I mentioned, I agree with that as well. Like that is initially like that's what I'm trying to do is get Herbert over Monty. Yeah. But one thing that I'm really just trying to uh, just point out here is that we are kind of deciding who gets a free pass from uh, Matt Nagy and who doesn't. Right. Like. Montgomery could be a completely different dude in this new system for all yeah, we know. And and I think you give a running back a little bit, you know, a harsher uh, eye of criticism than a rookie quarterback. Right. But uh, point taken, because look at what happened a year ago in Arizona with James Conner, like in, in a lot of ways, a guy that is similar to Monty, you know, like not necessarily a special athlete, but somebody who can get lucky with the touchdowns and an offense that just, performs better than expected you know also like a very mobile uh you know quarterback uh, leading that offense like only room to go up from where they were last year so um i i am more open to that idea of a potential outcome than i would have been before we had this conversation for sure uh yeah maybe maybe monty gives you a james connor-esque year and then you're thinking okay do i want to sell and get out now mm-hmm. or do i just ride this into the playoffs yeah yeah, James Conner is a great comp. I think that James Conner, Chris Carson, this is the the David Montgomery sphere, right? Those are good players, right? I just don't think they're the bets I want to make for my dynasty teams. But all right, uh, my second thing that I will be watching for in the first month of the season, and we're going to keep talking about running backs and backfield touch share and the same division even. Uh, let's go to Green Bay. I want to keep an eye on the backfield touch share between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So I think based on last year, we can expect a relatively 50-50 split in terms of carries. Even last year, you know, they had functionally the same amount of red zone work. A.J. Dillon did edge out Jones in terms of carries because I think Jones missed one game due to injury. I think it would have been basically even if not for that. But if after four weeks of the 22 uh, NFL season, A.J. Dillon is relatively close to Aaron Jones in terms of targets, I will be vaulting A.J. Dillon up to borderline running back one status in my own ranks, and I'll probably be looking to buy him early on. So right now I have them right next to each other. I have Aaron Jones at running back 18 and A.J. Dillon at running back 19. And I'm operating under the assumption that Jones is the pass catcher, that he's going to take about two thirds of the pass catching, you know, work share in the Green Bay offense after the departure of Devontae Adams. But A.J. Dillon has a lot going for him. And I feel like I'm a little bit late to the party on this. I think there's some people, you know, like Jacob Sanderson, a few others that have been touting A.J. Dillon. Not only as a running back, I mean, PFF had him as a top five running back in the league last year in terms of his rushing, but some of his receiving peripherals like yards per route run, they're actually quite good. So he's at least not a zero in that phase of the game like we thought he would be coming out of Boston College. So 
I've been rising on AJ Dillon all offseason, but I will be ready to vault him to like running back 13 or 14 mm. if he is like 50 50ing that receiving game with Jones early on. Yeah, Tarek, I, you know, I was getting to the party last year. AJ Dillon was a big target of mine, and he stayed around running back 17 for me. And I, I got Aaron Jones at 19. So it's still very, very close. But I think it's just the the philosophy of when it's close, airing towards youth. Yeah. And A.J. Dillon, like you said, is very surprisingly good at catching the ball. And like you can see this in, uh, on tape, like he's just naturally good at it. And we just didn't know that because that's not how he was used at Boston College. So um, it, it's kind of wheels up for him. The age difference is what, like, is it? Four years? Yeah, uh, A.J. Dillon turned 24 this offseason, and I believe Aaron Jones is going to turn 28 in December. Yeah, that and sounds so, right. And so, like, and Aaron Rodgers only has, like, so many years left, too. So I guess for me, I think if you're looking at a three-year window, you have to air A.J. Dillon. If you're looking at a two-year window, you're probably still looking at A.J. Dillon. At least I am. So that's that's why I have him just a smidge ahead. But if you go full like running back 13 here, then that's how you're going to beat the market. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, they're they're saying the one a one a thing. I actually believe that's what they're going to be doing. Yeah. And just for the record, guys, I've got A.J. Dillon as my RB 19 one spot ahead of Aaron Jones at RB 20. So I'm I'm already there. Uh, but I'm not up to the 13 or 14 range yet. Yeah. And, and that's, that's hey, the market. Keep trade cut is close. They've got AJ Dillon at running back 15 and Aaron Jones at running back 16. Wow. Yeah. Getting, yeah. And by the way, them. early, early in the off season, Aaron Jones was like a high end RB three in the right. market. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they've really come around above where we have them now. And, so. and, and the point I wanted to make is I, I, you're really putting a stake in the ground saying, all right, all, all I'm looking for is this 50, 50 split in targets. And if it's even leaning to AJ Dillon's way a little bit, then you are, recommending buy contender rebuilder whatever like go out yeah. and get them like I, I wouldn't i would not be mad at somebody for having aj Dillon running back 10 in that in that so, sense because i i think he's a good player and he's only 24 years old and a good offense are you so if you think that he does that he 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 proves that to you are you willing to throw down a late 2023 20, first that's tough i mean he's <laughs> i mean you're saying if he's top 10 running back you know I mean, it, I, if you're a contender and he's doing that, so like y- you can expect like low end running back one production in the near term, I wouldn't be mad for a late 23 first. Dude, that 2023 class, yeah. it might even be <laughs> underrated. Like yeah. that is how good it is. We haven't talked much about 23 yeah. rookies, but good God, that class is absurd. Yeah, I don't think that trade in makes a whole ton of sense because if you're going to bet on a running back for a playoff run, maybe there's better bets than AJ Dillon. If you're going to you know give up that kind of draft capital to do it. But I, I think he is now getting creeping into that range where maybe you think about it. I just wanted to press you a little bit. I, I don't think that I, I appreciate it. I don't think that I could do that at all, but I would understand, like you said, if somebody did it for a playoff push or something like that, like there's totally a rational way to, to to look at it but welcome to the party man aj Dillon's good all right trey close us out with your second thing or narrative or news item you will be looking at 
for the first month of the season. Yeah, so I want to take us back to the AFC West here. I want to look at the Kansas City offense. And, and like I mentioned, this offense is going to look a little bit different this year because one, Tyreek Hill is gone. Uh, and two, they were kind of figured out last year, you know, with the dropping two deep safeties and put, pulling everybody back in zone. And they've gone out and they've made some interesting moves this offseason, bringing in Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore through the draft to really, really overhaul that receiver room. Juju especially kind of sticks out as a zone beater type option for that passing game. So, you know, number one, start with the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Travis Kelsey, right? Mm -hmm. We're all expecting him to be the tight end one again this year, or at least right up there with Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. But what if he starts out a little bit slow in this offense? Like what if the offense maybe continues to struggle a little bit from last year or they miss having that that Tyreek Hill element in their receiver room as some of these newer guys are kind of getting used to the system. Like if Kelsey isn't giving you that top five production through the first month, like are you panicking and pulling the ripcord? Because with Kelsey, we're going to be looking for outs, right? Like Kelsey either takes you to a championship or you need to get him off your dynasty roster because he's he's going to turn 33 this year. Yeah. Oh, that's tough, man. It's It's tough to like imagine a world where Kelsey is struggling with Patrick Mahomes as the number one target, but I guess it's, I guess it's possible. Um, and, and I like, refuse to believe I, it. I, I refuses just, to believe it. I, I do too. I fucking refuse, but man, like, like you said, you can't sell, you, you can't sell low on Kelsey. You ride him into the fucking ground. If you have to, you don't, you don't sell for less. I, John and I are co-managing a team, and we're trying to rebuild it right now. And we still have Travis Kelsey on our roster, and it's because everybody's lowballing us. You know, we know right, that right. we know that we're rebuilding, and they know that we're rebuilding. So they know that you know we're trying to get out, like you mentioned. And quite frankly, you don't unless right. unless the price is right. Yeah, and so essentially what you're betting on is that he's not going to start out slow, that he's going to be the tight end one, and that you give it another two or three months, and you know people will be paying mm -hmm. that top end uh, pricing yep. again as they push for the playoffs. I, I'm I'm with you on that. I just you know kind of want to open up that possibility because you look at the other receivers in that room. I think a lot of people are expecting Juju to bounce back. I'm curious if you guys would look at potentially the attractiveness of selling high on Juju after a quick start. You know, maybe we don't really believe in him as a long-term asset like we did, you know, two or three years ago. And then, whereas we've also got this rookie in the mix too, if he starts out a little bit slow, you know, coming out of the Mac, like maybe there's a great October buying window for uh, Sky Moore. Yeah. I mean, I think some context to add to the Juju conversation. I was just looking, he is wide receiver 32 in fantasy pros ECR and he's wide receiver 37 on keep trade cut. So I think in order to kind of accomplish that sell high that you're talking about, he's going to have to have a hot start and yeah. people are going to have to buy into that hot start to where he'll move up into the top 24, top 20 receivers. Because what I've found in redraft, you know, peak redraft season, it's Labor Day weekend right now. It's the highest volume redraft season, you know, of the year. I think Juju Smith-Schuster is an amazing value right now because no. I think like like you said, zone beater, right? The way that they mm -hmm. changed or adapted to playing against too high last year, I think Juju could really benefit from that. So I think wide receiver 32 in redraft, 37 in, in dynasty, it's the price is right. So um, just, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think you're you're absolutely right. Like the keep trade cut market would have to come up a long way to open up that, that sell window. 
Well, I mean, we still got to remember that he's only there on a one-year deal, and True. I know that can change, and they could extend him. But, you know, you asked the question, so I'm going to answer it. Uh, if Juju's looking good after the first month, and if I can upgrade to a bona fide wide receiver and a, a higher tier and, like, trade Juju for and somebody else to accomplish that, then I'm definitely looking to do that. Like, I'll be looking to cash out of Juju regardless because he is replaceable in Kansas City and because I still think that no matter what, when we look at this season in the rearview mirror, Kelsey will still be the like certified number one dude there. Yeah, you say that, but 33-year-olds, they're not getting any younger, man. So his yeah. time, it's got to come one day. I just refuse <laughs> to believe it. Yeah, yeah. We'll never um, die. We talked about the pass catchers. I do want to just briefly have a, a chat about the running backs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ronald Jones, we talked about how he survived a cut down day. So now he's out the end of that bench. Maybe he's an attractive buy low now, uh, just as a, you know, kind of a zero RB guy. Maybe we've been like too low on Jet McKinnon this whole offense as like the number two, maybe more of a, a pass catching running back. And I mean, would you guys really be that surprised if somebody like, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who like everybody is super, super down on, if he came out hot in this offense and was like a RB1 after the first month? I would be surprised. I would it's, also it, be surprised. The Kansas City Chiefs running back, man, we see it happen every single year, like yeah. regardless of who the guy is. But what if it's all the guy? I, okay, I think it's just <laughs> going to be all the guys being used very sparingly, and it's still going to be a pass happy offense. And. Like I, I would genuinely be surprised if one of I, them. Right, I would, I would project a a fuster cluck, um, if I <laughs> if I may. That's that's what I would expect. Like I think Jet McKinnon's going to be involved. I think they're going to get Pacheco involved. Ronald Jones, maybe a couple carries here or there. I think he's functionally, you know, dead. Even though he made the team, Clyde. Like yes, there is a world in which through the first month of the season, he falls into the end zone a few times. He he gets a little bit more opportunity share than we think. Uh, if that's the case, I would probably sell. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like it's, it's, it's hard for me to envision a scenario in which I want any of these guys. I don't think that Kansas City running back lore, I don't think it's been as just productive of elite fantasy points in a long time. Trey, well, like, you say that, but I mean, Darrell Williams was like pretty effective as the, you know, cuff over the second half of the last year. Right. And, and that is truly just a guy. So, you know, yeah. if CEH comes out and you, you know, the six round rookie isn't quite ready for prime time and Rojo is dust and it's just him and McKinnon and it's a little bit more him than, than McKinnon. Then, and yeah. it really was the gallbladder surgery yeah, that was holding saying, back. There, there. CH. I know I said a lot of ands and ifs there, but there, there is a, a feasible outcome where we look up a month from now and he's uh, okay. RB12. Well, let me throw let me throw it back to you then, Trey. If that were to play out, because I, I, I guess I'm just escaping or trying not to answer it because I can't see it. But because you asked the question, let me throw it back to you. If Ceh is the running back nine through four weeks. What is that going to be signaling to you? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to be surprised? No, I, I agree with you, man. Sell. Okay. <laughs> so hot. Get out of it. <laughs> glad we got to the bottom of that one. Uh, All right. Well, on that note, that's going to do it for our. You know, the next time you hear our stupid voices, we're going to be talking about football that happened uh, over you know the next few days. So. That's really exciting. Football is back. 
The long game is back. I know we missed a few weeks, but we're back up and running weekly. Going to be talking about real NFL football games. Excited for it, guys. Good show. Talk to y'all next week. We're back. We're back. What's going on in Utah? Growing, ain't gotta justify it. No, I ain't